Welcome to the Peace at Home podcast. I'm your co-host, Sinan. And I'm Jamie. And I'm Ben. And our music is by Jordan. There you go. From we, Com Radio. I, from Com Radio. How long that will be, I don't know. That's, who knows how long that will be the case, apparently. I don't know. Com Radio are doing some sort of refounding of themselves or oh. some shit. Yeah. So someone decided to post in the Ale Discord a thing from their Patreon where it's like end of the road question mark and I'm like oh well, that's gonna suck. Well, am I gonna say Jordan's from now <laughs> when I remember that Jordan did the music? <laughs> so if they're refounding themselves, is that like where you you go off into the mountains and like think about what you've done or something? Aye, ah, they're gonna be, yeah, like, I, gonna be like the Japanese Red Army. Yeah, that's what I've heard. You know, I've I've heard they've got the uh, they've got the retreat booked. They're gonna have a nice time away. You know, maybe they'll come back. Maybe they'll do podcasts. Maybe not. You know, maybe only maybe one of them will come back. Maybe, yeah. Who's who's to say? None of us can say. So, last week we got a bit caught up in the genocide. To be fair, yeah, a little bit, a little bit genocide heavy. So we're going to be a bit lighter this week. We're going to talk about how Ataturk sleeps in a big bed with six arrows, six long, beautiful arrows. Hmm. And those arrows are. Uh, I'll get uh, <laughs> secularism, republicanism, populism, nationalism, statism, and reformism. There you go. Ta-da. <laughs> I like how every time I'm asked to recite the six arrows, I'm like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> I don't know any of them, really. <laughs> I, I can reliably get secularism, republicanism, and populism, and then nationalism because I don't like it, uh-huh. and then the statism. But revolutionism, reformism will always trip me up because I'm like, I don't know. Revolutionism just sounds cooler, but it almost sounds kind of Trotskyist, actually. You know, <laughs> constant a state that's constantly in revolution. I don't know. Hmm. Constant states of revolution. I'm not sure. That, wait, hold on. Are we going to be able to use this episode to get Mike Gapes to denounce Ataturk as a trot? Oh, that would be wonderful. <laughs> Mustafa Kemal, trot off! <laughs> <laughs> This is uh, one time I'm regretting not having Jack on this podcast. <laughs> what's the uh, what's the Turkish equivalent of St. Petersburg? Well, oh. um, Istanbul, probably. The Istanbul Troll Factory. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, we did basically do a bonus episode on the Istanbul Troll Factory. We did. That that is actually a thing that existed. <laughs> Maybe still exists. I don't know. I've not seen any. I've not heard about any parking fines being deleted lately, but <laughs> Turkish Shadow Run is amazing. It was so good. Like I, I, yeah, I'm in awe of them. But that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about ideology, a big <laughs> trash can, if you will. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I just. I- I can't stand fucking Zizek, but like, <laughs> but like, it's so infinitely quotable in so many different ways. Oh yes, pure ideology. The thing is, I have a Slovenian mate who is not like massively into Zizek, but also he's like the one guy everyone will reliably have heard of on the left, and so it will inevitably go in that direction. And it's like, oh that, yeah, that and lots I of feel- references to Leibach. Yeah. Oh no, there are some people who absolutely can never be allowed to see a Livak video. Like, could you imagine some people on left Twitter trying to figure out Livak? Oh god, they'd be at it for days. Could you imagine the the Livak discourse we would have? Like, (laughs) like, if you like this music, you're a Nazi. And I'm like, please, for the love of God, like, understand what these bands are doing. Like, anyway. Oddly, that's something Zizek kind of talked about with Rammstein as well. Um, well, he, which, he was he was influential in Leibach's whole thing. I think they they, they came up oh, at the same he? time. Yeah, so he was he was involved in their artistic project in the beginning. Oh, that does explain an awful lot, actually. But anyway, we need to understand like why do we bother having ideology? Why bother believing in things? Right? Why are we Why are we fucking around with this believing in shit? Nonsense. When like, well, because if we didn't, we'd be centrists. We just have well, to yeah, believe was... in evidence. Yeah, we simply have to believe in evidence-based policy. Ironically, evidence-based policy would probably mean you just do communism. But, yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, sorry to break that to any liberals listening to this. But uh, 
none of the evidence backs any of your positions. Apart from, like, unless you're one of those liberals who generally wants to leave, like, you know, minorities alone. That's true. You should probably do that. Especially liberals. Liberals especially should stay away from minorities. <laughs> yes. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. Definitely encountered more racism on liberals from liberals than I have from conservatives. I'm just... And, and before any Americans get confused, because I know we have a lot of American listeners, I mean European liberals, mm. you know. I mean, like, centre-right, piss-yellow losers. I, I might be projecting a bit from our liberals, but, you know. <laughs> they take on various colours for their party. But the Republican People's Party is not a liberal party. We, we've, we've definitely established that, right? No, because you know, yeah. they actually believe in doing things. Yeah. Liberalism is when the government doesn't do stuff. Actually, to be fair, that's not almost not a terrible definition of it. (laughs) (laughs) I may have accidentally stumbled on quite a good definition of liberalism. Basically, we need to understand what the six arrows are. We need to understand where they came from, right? Because we're, we're approaching the end of Mustafa Kemal's period of being, you know, alive in our grand story. Yeah, I, I like how I dropped that just so casually. <laughs> he's, you know, he's he's going to be dead. But um, I I suppose if that's a spoiler for you, I it's a bit like when someone got mad at me for spoiling um, Empire Strikes Back in 2019. It was it was an old film by then, <laughs> and you know Turkey's been around for a while, and Mustafa Kemal hasn't been around for a while. So really, it's on you if you didn't if you didn't know at this point. You just stop reading in the thirties, and, and then yeah. just assume everything goes fine. If if you yeah, if you skip these couple of episodes, I guess <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be like, "Huh, we just smoothly transition to Isma Inonu, huh? Bet he's having a nice retirement in the year of our Lord twenty twenty two." You might be sitting around watching the Empire Strikes Back for the first time. Yeah. yeah. Oh God, what would Mustafa Kemal think of the Empire Strikes Back? <laughs> Who's to say? Not as good as Turkish Star Wars. That's what you would think. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Turkish Star Wars did have a sequel. Did it? Yeah, which was an intentional comedy. Oh, well, pivoting to their strengths there, I guess. Yeah, I I also do want to say, uh, actually, uh, Rip, the guy who starred in um, Turkish Star Wars, Junior Arkin, he is now, he is dead, he died. Um, The grand old age of something like 88. They're really dropping like flies in this episode, huh? Yeah, uh, he died at 85, sorry. And uh, Jeanette Arkin is kind of, is was he's not just famous for Turkish Star Wars, he's just generally famous. In particular for an incident that occurred in one of the films he was filming for, where his hand got severed and then reattached during shooting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the man, he was, he was a stuntman as well. He did uh-huh. all his own stunts, you know. So th- this yeah. this wasn't for the sequel to Turkish Star Wars. This wasn't like the bit in Empire Strikes Back where where Luke gets his hand cut off. No, no, no. I don't know what film it was in because like he starred in like eight hundred and seventy fucking films. <laughs> he was always in films. Ah, one of those kind of institutions. Yeah, What's, yeah. No, we might we'll probably be talking about him and another institution who died a bit earlier, but was um was a comedy guy. But we'll we'll get to him in a bonus when we talk about like Turkish Star Wars, I guess. <laughs> We're gonna have to talk about Turkish films eventually because they have a reputation for a reason. But what we've talked about so far largely is what we would describe as modernization, right? We're talking about the transition of a state from Europeans like to call it like uh they call it like medieval obsolescence in all of their stuff to describe the Ottoman Empire. But, like, the Ottoman Empire mostly didn't exist in the medieval period oh. and also was, like, vastly the superior of almost every contemporary society up until the 19th century. So, not quite, not quite right. But basically from obsolescence to, you know, being able to not have anything to lose during the Great Depression and doing statism and industrializing and giving land to farmers and also doing genocide. They did do quite a bit of genocide. And they did quite a bit of race science, to be fair. Yeah, the, the, the full package of, of European-style modernization there. Yeah, they, speed, they basically speed-ran becoming European. Like, it's one of those things where, like, Nicolas Sarkozy would go around when, when Turkey was trying, to, trying sincerely to join the EU. He was like, they're not European. And I'm like, motherfucker, I think you'll find this is the most European country in the world. <laughs> 
<laughs> they they injected Europeanness straight into their veins. Oof. You know. And it's a, it and so Kemalism we can always we can just sort of in the most basic way think of it as mod, a modernization philosophy, right? It is an ideology that is meant to guide the continued modernization of Turkey beyond the death or beyond the political control of Mustafa Kemal and the Republican People's Party, right? Because Mustafa Kemal's goal, as you know, you see from him constantly trying to sort of speed run liberal democracy, is to have a multi-party democracy, right? You're meant to have a multi-party democracy. Well, if you have a multi-party democracy, the Republican People's Party might lose elections. In fact, it will lose elections. It will lose many elections. It will lose almost every election it contests in free and fair elections. Let's not do that, then. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that would have been a pretty good solution. But uh, as we'll see when we get to the post-war, Isma Inonu had other ideas, mostly because the fascists didn't win World War II, or the communists, for that matter, according to him. Huh. Yeah, his whole thing was like, oh, it's out of fashion to be a single-party state, so I guess let's have multiple parties and get on with it. <laughs> like, how is it out of fashion? The Soviet Union's your biggest neighbour. <laughs> like, there's no... Yeah, anyway, Isma Inonu melted. Anyway, um, <laughs> they all melt in the end, allowing free and fair elections. Anyway, this is <laughs> this is not the time for my critique of democracy. I don't think so. I recited them earlier, but in case you missed them, so the six arrows are secularism, republicanism, popularism—not uh, popularism. Fuck, I fucked it. Populism, <laughs> nationalism, statism, and it was revolutionism. Now it's reformism. Oh. You know, kind of, kind of, the word's kind of ambiguous. Right? I think they should add a seventh arrow for means testing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's when, when they be officially became a social democratic party, that's probably what they ended up adding as the seventh arrow. <laughs> what's, the, what's the point in be of believing in these things, though, right? Like, what, what purpose do they serve? So republicanism is probably the easiest one to explain, right? The monarchy has failed, right? The monarchy did not work as an institution. In fact, it kept getting cooed and, you know, the Young Turks happened. Uh, Cenk Uygur has many questions to answer on that regard. <laughs> um, he doesn't really. I mean, he does actually. I think he's clarified some of his, his views that he held when he was but a child of 25. Um, <laughs> but basically, republicanism and Kemalism is you know, a constitutional republic. We do not have a monarchy. Representatives are elected and you have to exist within the rule of law dictated by the republic's, you know, constitution in this case. Uh, if the UK were a republic, I guess it would be gentlemen's agreements. Oh, God. Uh, I mean, as of recording, we are seeing perhaps some of the consequences of not having this shit written down just in case something does happen. You know, we may be seeing some of the consequences of that. Uh, yeah, but basically, I'm enjoying Boris Johnson taking my personal political philosophy of just saying no, <laughs> just yeah. seeing, just seeing where it takes him. Really, just see, just see where it takes him, right? And so, the Kemalist Republic, as imagined in this in this grand vision, is a representative parliamentary republic. So. In a way, Turkey now has moved away from this vision because now it's a presidential republic. The, the original idea was that the parliament should hold the power, basically. The president, the ideal Kemalist president is basically a guy who's a lawyer who specializes in the constitution. It's basically Keir Starmer would oh. be the ideal Kemalist president. Good but also, God. you will be pleased to know that the ideal Kemalist president has virtually no executive powers and can only really like veto laws occasionally and maybe send them to the courts to deal with or like insist on a referendum which in fairness if Keir Starmer were the president of the UK would mean that we would have an EU referendum which I would not enjoy Ooh. could you could you imagine 80 million Turks are coming to take your job part two uh I'm a, I'm a monarchist now we must never ever have a president in this country <laughs> I can't believe I made you melt that hard. Usually, <laughs> usually the argument people make is, oh yeah, do you want President Tony Blair? And I'm like, well, if the fucker won an election, what the fuck is that to do with me, man? 
Like, <laughs> what, does, what is the point of me getting mad about that? Like, if people are stupid enough to elect President Tony Blair, that's not my fault. Also, I'm eating pancakes, everyone. If you hear any, like, food noises, I'm eating pancakes. That's fine. I've got a packet of crisps here, so I'll get, get into them. Oh, yeah, I know when you have a packet of crisps. Don't worry. The <laughs> <laughs> editor's lament. Yeah. So... So, you know, it, it's it's classic Republic stuff, right? You have a prime minister, you know, the president, the way it works is the president goes, you there, boy, you have the largest party. That means you get to form the government. Great. Good, good luck. You know, go figure it out. Sounds very like, very like Oliver Twist there. Yeah, that was kind of what I was going for. I kind of fucked it halfway through <laughs> and failed. Um, you there, boy, what day is it? Uh, Republic day? No, it's the day you form a government. <laughs> But yeah, so there is a separation of powers in the Kemalist Republic, right? You've got judiciary, you've got the executive, and you've got legislature. But the executive doesn't have any executive powers. He's just there to look pretty, I guess. Which, you will note, is quite different from how Mustafa Kemal existed in the presidency, which was to be the man. Just a guy. Interesting. Just the hardest working guy in Turkey. He really was. My mouth was very full. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was feeling left out, so I've got myself an ice cream Snickers. Oh, I had an ice cream from the uh, Chinese shop that was like a peanut butter, it's like a peanut nougat ice cream, but it was basically just like the, the sort of like the peanut bit of the Snickers, but in ice cream form. Oh, nice. Ooh. It was so good. Wouldn't necessarily have it again. Anyway, we, we understand republics. We, un- we know what republics are. I'm not going to insult the intelligence of the of the listener. We know what republics are. We can kind of move on. So the next one we should probably take a look at is populism, because there's been a bit of, as much as we have like Jeremy Corbyn derangement syndrome in this country, that also came with a heaping side order of populism derangement syndrome from our press. (laughs) Yeah. Some of us might recall The Guardian doing a series on populism. Oh, <laughs> God, was yeah. Incredible. Inc- they, put in, they put in so much effort into the graphics and none of the effort into the research of what populism is. So we ended up with a situation where, like, Emmanuel Macron was to the left of, like, some Latin American leftist leader. <laughs> or I think, I think it may even have been AMLO himself. Like, it was really fucking odd for, like, AMLO in Mexico to be considered to the right of Emmanuel Macron, a man who has done an arrangement with a fascist party. Incredible. Just incredible. They're like, oh yeah, but AMLO has has done a deal with a social conservative uh, party. Yeah, but has he done left wing shit in government? Mm. Yeah. So, all right, then shut the fuck up. You know, <laughs> has he done any of the social conservative stuff? Not really. Not not in a noteworthy way. Well then, you know, <laughs> what are we to conclude? <laughs> Are we to conclude that he's to the right of Emmanuel Macron because Macron has like a Jupiter level intellect or whatever that bullshit was he was talking about? Oh, oh yes. Uh, Jupiter. Yeah. Oh, I loved boy. asking a melt, a melt I knew who was like big into Macron when he first burst onto the scene. Like, how fares Jupiter? It turns out <laughs> not very well. Is that like some kind of Shazam deal where he's got like the wisdom of Jupiter? Well, that would be very bad because, as I recall from my Greco-Roman mythology, most of it is just people, is just like Jupiter or Zeus going, hmm, should I fuck that? And everyone going, no, obviously don't fuck that. That's insane. And then he fucks the thing anyway. So, you know, I'm not a fan of Jupiter or Zeus. Take your pick, really. It's the same fucking thing. So populism in Turkey is not this sort of classical populism of like, you know, you stand with the people against an imagined elite, right? Because mm. the populism of Kemalism is basically summarized by the Mustafa Kemal quote, which is also now um, emblazoned on one of the walls in the parliament. Sovereignty unconditionally belongs to the people, right? Mm. So it's a kind of popular sovereignty. Yes, yeah, so it's just a, a, sort of an extension of the re- aforementioned republicanism, isn't it? Yeah, in a way. But this sort of populist envisioning of society of the people, the people's a very sort of flattened concept, right? Because it very much seeks to unify all people and sort of just, and sort of allied all class conflict, 
right? Oh, yeah. It's it's a it's a political theory in this case that sort of like yeah, like class conflict. Why don't we instead do class collaboration and sort of a bit of redistributism and sort of like solidarity across class lines? Because you know the people we all have more in common with each other anyway within this national unit. So why are we doing class conflict? That would be stupid. Hmm. You know. That's because it. it's fun. Everybody should just hate the Brits and the Italians instead. Yeah, well, that's, you know, the founding principle of Turkey, of course, is Brits get out. So, <laughs> and, and, you know, that's, uh, that's uh, you know, that's actually an idea we can all get behind. In fact, here we go. I've got... Um, it's the founding principle of a lot of places. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, statistically. And with, and with good cause. So here's a picture of the parliament with the uh, national slogan on it. Uh, it. It looms over the speaker. That's where the speaker sits to remind MPs who they're working for. They're working for the people because the way it works is the people delegate their sovereignty to their MP. And that's why apparently we have to constantly have referendums and it would be very bad for the parliament to change the constitution with a simple majority. Of course. Which, by the way, it would be bad because then the AKP would just change the constitution all the time. So actually, fair play. 66% required in the parliament. Not a bad idea. As it turns out, that might have saved everyone's ass a little bit. So, but this idea of populism of like, you know, eliding class conflict also comes with like eliding, you know, cultural differences, right? And I don't just mean like, you know, Kurdish and Turkish cultural differences. That is part of it. This is sort of, this does feed into the, uh, feed into the nationalism element of it. But there's also this idea of rejecting uh, even sort of social differences, right? It's when we were talking about like the education reforms, right? The peasants' culture needs to change was something that was brought up. Oh, yeah, boy. it's a, it's a little bit of that. Um, you know, there's a Mustafa Kemal quote that's always thrown around, which is like, yeah, you know, everyone should be able to learn about religion, but that place is in you know the mosque, not in the fucking school. Don't learn about it in school. Go to the mosque if you want to learn about it. And basically, this is used as justification to bring the organized clergy, which is called the ulema, uh, which is what governs Iran now, basically under state supervision on the grounds that, like, look, like, we're just keeping an eye on you, right? We're not, we're not doing anything anti-secular. I mean, we'll get to secularism in a bit, but it's very funny that a secular country has, you know, a directorate of religious affairs. It seems to me that the you'd kind of leave everyone the fuck alone if that were, you know, what you were going for. Mm. So does that actually translate to having a, a, an official state religion, or do, do they not go quite no. that far? Turkey no, does, Turkey does not have an official state religion. It would actually be supremely illegal for Turkey to have an official state religion. Ah, okay. Although technically it has, like, free state religions anyway. Are they, are they all bootlegs? No. <laughs> <laughs> Observant viewers will recall that when the Ottoman Empire, well, when Turkey refuted the terms of the Treaty of Severa and got a new treaty, that they were le- that they had this bit of the conference where they decided which minorities are actually people or not. And oh, yeah. Turkey had to, technically Turkey has free state religions imposed on it by that treaty, none of which are Islam. Oh. Yeah. Armenian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, and Judaism are technically actually the only the only thing you could say reasonably approaches an official religion because Turkey is legally bound by international treaty to, you know, treat them like actual people. Whether they actually do that or not, you know, mm. maybe we'll find out about that later, maybe we won't. We probably will. Because, you know, poorly designed wealth taxes might have happened at some point. Oh dear. Yeah. Is is not good. Um but also populism is used basically as this broad, you know, unifying political message to undermine opposing political ideologies, particularly like, you know, Islamic political ideologies that did exist in a lot of Turkey at the time, because a lot of people really, really believed that when Turkey, you know, um, <clears throat> declared itself a republic, they were like, yes! And now we're going to elect a caliph. We're going to get to vote for the caliph, like the like the Umar of old. We're going to have a Turkish Abu Bakr. 
and then we're going to unite Islam and punch the West in the face. And it turned out, no, none of that, really. Oh. We didn't, we're not interested in doing any of that. So they're like, actually, that's really interesting, but have you considered having a secular will of the people that has nothing to do with religion? And it turned out some people kind of like that. Hmm, cool. Yeah, they even replaced, um, they replaced like all of these old, you know, slogans that people would chant with Nemutlu Turkum DNA, which means how happy is the person who calls himself a Turk? You know, that was the new slogan. And they, they sort of forced it on the people to repeat it over and over again, because, you know, once you start repeating shit, then you believe it. How relaxed is the person that calls himself a Turk? Yeah. They're very relaxed online, I hear. They've <laughs> <laughs> never seen a Turk mad online. Never happened. No. If you've ever seen a Turkish person posting mad online, no, you didn't. Mind your business, first of all. <laughs> have you considered that the person might have deserved it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, have you considered that? Yeah. Um, it's, possible, it's possible to be very relaxed and incredibly furious at the same time. Oh, yeah. Completely. Intensely, <laughs> intensely relaxed. <laughs> that's, uh, that's me, uh, actually, yes. So... I've mostly just been enjoying the spectacle of what's been happening today. So I am actually very relaxed. Right, so now we can talk about a bit about secularism. So some of you at home, especially if you're in America, will recognize secularism as sort of like there is a discrete separation between church and state, right? There is a, there's a line between state and church, and they do not cross the line. Whether that actually existed practically in America, well, uh, you know, I feel like we've had a recent demonstration that maybe that line doesn't exist as much as people might like it to might like to believe it. Yeah, mm, one nation under God. Yeah, I mean, among other you know recent dipshitteries that have gone on in America. So if that's quite a, a, quite a wide net you're casting there. Yeah, I'm kind of <laughs> like, so. Those of you who know about uh, French revolutionary politics, you might be familiar with the term la cité. I think that's how you pronounce it, which is where the Turkish word like comes from, which is the Turkish word for secular. So if you're familiar with like the French secular policy, then it's pretty much just that, right? So Mustafa Kemal looks at the French revolutionary concept of secularism and goes, actually, that's the perfect form of secularism, because a lot of French revolutionary secularism sort of uh, sort of put the church in opposition to progress and science in particular, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're the Kemalists, well, a lot of the big problems were that you were not a modern enough society, you were a society that didn't modernize. And the perception for why that happened is, well, all of these fucking Islamists are running around preventing social progress. I mean, haven't you, I mean, you know, there's a story that Turkish people love to tell about the first guy who did the first intercontinental flight where he took a hang glider across the Bosphorus after the Sultan explicitly forbid it. And even though it was really fucking cool and a really big milestone moment, the guy was executed. Oof. You know, because like you have violated the will of the representative of God on earth, therefore you must die. I, I do kind of like, though, the, the sort of technicality. It was an intercontinental flight because he went mm -hmm. across like this extremely narrow strait between like what is technically two continents. I quite enjoy that. Yeah. That's welcome to Turkey, baby. Look, <laughs> if other countries wanted to achieve that first, they should simply have had a strait, you know, <laughs> right where the two continents are. They didn't, and so they, they lost, you know. That's it. So Fair enough. Yeah, uh, ripped to everyone else. Turkey's just built different. That's quite literally <laughs> true, I guess. I'm just picturing now that, like, when the Americans say, like, "Oh, you know, we need to do something because North Korea is going to get an intercontinental missile," they're talking about the ability to fire it over that strait. Yeah, so, <laughs> it's just it's just a fucking catapult with a nuke in it. Yeah. You might think of like secularism in terms of like. You know, uh, there will be freedom of religion, and you'll also get to be free from religion, right? Like, you as an individual do not have to follow the religious dictates of anyone else, right? You know, mm. which is fair enough. No one, you know, someone else believing in something shouldn't prevent me from doing it. You know, unless that, like, someone is very, very strongly telling me not to drink industrial concentrate Mountain Dew, <laughs> <laughs> then I guess, then I guess I am bound by that and to an extent. 
anyway, we're going to move on. Uh, <laughs> let's move on before I think too much about that. Don't let anyone so, still be following your dreams, Jenna. Dude, I don't know, man. I got heart problems at the age of 28. I don't think I should be drinking it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> My family has like a long history of uh, of like heart problems. So I think I think injecting a shit ton of industrial concentrate Mountain Dew into that mix is a really, really bad idea. So basically, the Kemalist vision of freedom of religion is the state should be free from the religious organizations that exist in the country and that basically religion should not give you these privileges that previously existed. So, you know, before you would have like Sheik, you know, we, we've talked about people with the title Sheik, right? Sheik Syed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that is a title that confers privilege onto you because it's uh, it's an honorific title. It confers prestige. And particularly in Kurdish areas, it was a title that meant you likely were the head of your extended family clan group, right? Yeah. Or, you know, you couldn't be known as a dervish. And in fact, dervish lodges were closed, as we sort of talked about in the reform, one of the reform factories, right? There is a history of attempting to, um, of attempting to sort of secularize the Ottoman Empire. But we will note that that would have been, you know, a bit difficult because, uh, you know, the, the, the guy is also the caliph. The yeah, yeah. It's a bit difficult to sort of separate the two. And so I said Turkey doesn't have a state religion, really. Uh, The original constitution of Turkey did have a clause in it that said the established religion of Turkey is Islam. Uh, That was removed in 1928. So after 1928, Turkey is 100%, you know, like, in the sort of symbolic sense, secular. Right. And, you know, there's this long culture of, like, people beefing over how religious their candidates are. Even some of us will recall the melt party that Boris Johnson's great-grandfather was in. Even they were like, no, we need Islamic piety in our candidates. The other, other candidates are illiberal and therefore unpious. Oh. Which, as you might imagine, didn't land as an argument from the melt party. Because in the 1912 Ottoman general election where this beefing was going on, uh, the Freedom and Accord Party got six seats. Oof. The Committee of Union and Progress, the one other party that got seats in the Parliament, got two hundred and sixty-nine. So they got, they got, yeah, nice. But also, to be fair, that's also the genocide party. So, you know, not impossible ideal. to say. Yeah. And in fact, yeah, impossible to say. They beat the Melt Party and also tried to, you know, make fasting not no longer mandatory during Ramadan. But also, um, you know, they did genocide. Oof. So yeah. It's not ideal. They they fucking battered the shit out of the Melt Party. As as you might think, you know, kind of expected. Yeah. Yeah. Well, rip to them. Uh <laughs> so you just have to throw some Boris Johnson barbs in there, given recent events. So that's kind of your rundown on secularism to an extent, with an aside there. The next thing we should probably talk about is, you know, revolutionism, reformism. There is like a Turkish word for it, which is inkelopçuluk, which, ah, you know, it could mean either. It could, it, you know, it, it, it's that. So basically, it's not like revolution as envisioned by say marxists right it's not it's not that kind of revolutionary thought or you know we were joking about trotskyists it's not that kind of like it's not actually constant revolution it's the idea of society constantly modernizing and fundamentally changing in order to become modern and remain modern so right? more, more kind of like development, de- developmentalism. Fuck, that was difficult to say. Yeah, it's um, it's basically the idea that the revolutions and reforms can't be undone because the state has to constantly strive for modernity, and so going backwards would be, you know, not just like bad politically or bad materially, but like essentially bad. Like, it fundamentally violates, you know, the principle of the pe- you know, that you're meant to represent the interests of the people of the country. Kind of overlaps with that populism idea, right? Everything in this comes back to populism, basically. So, 
it's you know it's not just that like you have to keep going forward you can never go back and you have to and the problem with sort of revolutionism at least as described in um in the Kemalist terms is it has a hyper focus on western europe so it's like let's look at western european institutes in societies that we want to emulate and try and make them more you know suited to the cultural context of turkey which might look like they're not they're kind of having their cake and eating it because if you what how are we moving on from the old ways if we're sort of gently conceding to some of the things that people are already doing so they don't fucking murder us in our sleep oh dear revolutionism is also like in the kemalist understanding a way of building collective national cultural memory so you know because you keep going through these reforms together as you know a class collaborationist society that, you know, doesn't do class conflict and stuff like that. You build a social memory in that way, right? Yeah. So it's, again, it's all of these six arrows, you'll notice a lot of overlap between them. They're picked, they were picked quite deliberately because they all mesh really, really well together, right? They all really nicely fit in with each other and help with the overall ideological aim, which is this which is to be this modernizing, you know, revolutionary, in quotes, right? Westernizing, that's the truth of what it really is doing in a lot of cases. Society, it, it, these are all tools, right? Yeah. yeah. And maybe ideology is a set of tools. And maybe political parties are also tools, such as the Labour Party, a huge tool. <laughs> Well, it's certainly led by a fucking tool, isn't it? So, mm. Well, his father was a toolmaker. Yeah, yeah, expert, weren't he? <laughs> Just as an aside, I'm going to find it really funny if during all of this chaos, Keir Starmer has to resign because of a fixed penalty notice. <laughs> Glorious. It's full fucking chaos timeline. I'm so excited. So, nationalism. So we've a lot of what we've talked about in the episodes you might call the genocide episodes are um are the result of nationalism and so in theory the idea of kemalist nationalism is civic nationalist right it's whoever belongs to this territory is a turk it doesn't matter you know what your background is it theoretically shouldn't matter what language you speak or what religion you are or any of this fucking bullshit you are a turk if you live here uh, that has some unfortunate side effects. Mm. So, what happens if you have this understanding, but there are people who don't want to be a Turk, or at least be what you imagine a Turk should be, right? So we actually have a definition, a Kemalist definition of Turkish people. Would you like to hear it? Go yeah. for it. Those who protect and promote the moral, spiritual, cultural, and humanistic values of the Turkish nation. Ah. Yeah. It's a really, like, moral and humanistic country that does some of the stuff that we talked about in the last episode. <laughs> yeah. Really, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, um, so national, you know, there's stuff about, like, criteria about nationality. So, like, I can be a Turkish citizen if I want, because my parents were Turkish citizens. Um, if I, you know, despite not being a Turkish citizen, went to Turkey, had a child with someone, the child would be a Turkish citizen. Although I would probably get in a lot of trouble with a lot of different people if I started doing that kind of shenanigan as like a, <laughs> as like a, as like an experiment to prove my point. <laughs> um, like you will also note that like this focus on Turkish nationalism, the first bonus episode we did, which was about Erdogan being compared to Gollum. Uh, there's also like a side bit of that law. Well, actually, it's kind of the primary bit of that law, which is that you can't insult the Turkish nation. Oh. Um, sorry, or what was at the before 2008 was like Turkishness, which was the Turkish ethnicity, which meant you couldn't insult anyone living within, you know, the Misaka Mili borders. So like you couldn't like insult the national spirit of people living there, which again is uh, very interesting because like, didn't 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 we didn't we do didn't we like fucking genocide a bunch of people in that area? Oh shit! Who we yeah. would consider Turks? Isn't that is that not 
is that not insulting to them in some level? <laughs> These days. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to hear a quote from Mustafa Kamal, um, you got to remember that Kurds, uh, the identity of Kurds, were denied for until like 1990, essentially, and they were described officially as Mountain Turks. <laughs> God. But uh, if you want to hear a quote from Mustafa Kemal uh, on the matter, within the political and social unity of today's Turkish nation, there are citizens and co-nationals who have been incited to think of themselves as Kurds, Circassians. Laz or Bosnians, but these erroneous appellations, the product of past periods of tyranny, have brought nothing but sorrow to individual members of the nation, with the exception of a few brainless reactionaries who became the enemy's instruments. Oof. Yeah, that is... I, I, will, I will simply make the point that have brought nothing but sorrow to individual members of the nation. No, dude, that was you. <laughs> that was your state who did that. That wasn't like, it wasn't the act of identifying or holding on to these identities that made that happen. The state could, and it's a, it's a thing that will come up a lot, simply not. Yeah. It's, it's very stop hitting yourself kind of stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah. You're a brainless reactionary if you have any identity that's different to uh, different to the one that we deem, you know, the one that you should have. It's it's definitely the direction that like the Tory Party will go in one day, where they'll be like, oh, oh, uh, you know, uh, politically black, are we? Oh, I guess you're a brainless reactionary. Oh yeah. Like we're gonna start we're gonna start seeing shit like that happen. Although to be fair, to an extent, we did see some of that actually. Oh yeah. Where, I would say you know, a lot of <clears throat> anti Islamic politics in the UK is focused on stuff like that. You know, why wouldn't you integrate and all that? Why wouldn't you call yourself English? A mm. lot a lot of like anti Muslim politics in the UK is always crouched it's always sort of couched in concern around, oh, but what about the LGBT? Uh, Muslims, mm, yeah. and it's like, mm. yeah, buddy, you also retweet transphobic shit all day. I can, we can fucking see you, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the the classic Baz like position of like, oh well, you know, in like fucking Saudi Arabia, they would throw you off a building, you big queer. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, and don't act like you wouldn't cheer them on. Really, that's it. Yeah, they're they're saying that from a place of admiration. Actually. <laughs> yeah, they say it with real relish. The way they, they say it to Owen Jones as well really convinces me. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus. And in fairness, they'd fucking throw him off a building in Saudi Arabia because apostasy is illegal in, this, in Saudi Arabia. So I would be killed uh, in Saudi Arabia, not because of any of the other shit I'd done. Although, to be fair, they probably would kill me for some of that other stuff too. So... <laughs> they, do, they do like to be executing people in Saudi Arabia. Mm, they did an interview with, um, there's a memory, like, I hate to talk about memory because I'm worried about how normy the audience might be, um, but uh, there's a great memory still of, like, um, of someone's calling into the show and asking a Saudi-employed executioner whether he's had to execute anyone he's considered a friend. He's like, oh yeah, definitely, you know, but I didn't, but my arm didn't, like, weaken as I, you know. <laughs> As I did this execution. Um, Gotta take pride in your job, you know? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, did it, you know, did a pretty good job. So, <laughs> alright, so what have we covered? We've done secularism, populism, republicanism, nationalism, revolutionism. I think we've got, um, oh, to be fair, I'm looking at the nationalism notes I have uh, in my separate thing, and it's like, I've got pan-Turkism in there again. I'm not going <laughs> to fucking do it again. No. Um, <laughs> There was there was a a high there are apparently uh, Ataturk era high school books that um uh, give detailed information about empires which are Turkic um, in in the purest Turkish like brain moment where they're like actually here's a list of people who are Turkic and there's actually a very very funny matter picture of Ataturk looking at. What I can only assume is a precursor to the YouTube map, where it's like, ah, here's a here's the extent of the Turk at Carnate. And he's just looking at it like, yes, very good, very good. Um, <laughs> it's so good. He's just he's just like, yes, oh, Siberia, yes, uh, interesting. Yes, he, he looks so chuffed in that picture. I love it. <laughs> he's just he's just like chilling out, like, hmm, okay, interesting. I'm intrigued by your theory and would like to subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> 
Well, to be fair, this is the guy who did the measure head move of in, in, sort of internalizing the race theory. So, oh god, you know. Yeah. See, I just, I just love, I love pictures of Atatürk looking at stuff. Actually, that should be a Twitter account, Atatürk looking at things, and it's just me posting this picture over and over again. I was like, hmm. Uh, for somebody, it's got the same vibe as that Google picture where he's pointing at the placard. You're never getting back into Turkey. <laughs> oh, fuck no. I was planning to go. My grandparents are old, you know. They're like 91. <laughs> but I'm I'm definitely never going to be allowed in ever again. <laughs> right, so obviously the final thing, the final six arrow, the sixth arrow completing the set is statism. Oh, look, I, I'm not going to bore you all with it. We covered it all before. This is etaism. Uh, statism, it's the economic model, basically. We talked mm. about the the economic models that Kemalism attempted, you know, before the before the Great Depression, it was private accumulation. You know, let's start really like pushing. Uh, you know, we will distribute land to the farmers so that they have capital. You know, all all of these things, right? They they basically tried to create the class dynamics of capitalism. World economy shits the bed, and they're like, uh, maybe the state should actually do things. <laughs> yeah. Let's just get doing some five-year plans instead. Yeah, let's do let's do five-year plans and, you know, uh, try and become autarkic, although that didn't really work. It did quite a good job. The economy didn't really regress too much, mostly because there wasn't anything to lose at that point. So welcome to me when the next economic crisis hits in... The next once-in-a-life economic crisis, I think, is booked in for one and a half months from now. So, oh, boy. <laughs> you know, well, as soon as autumn hits, we're all fucked. Yeah, I, I feel. Yeah. How many how many lifetimes have I had by now? I've had I've had four. I think I've had four once in a lifetime economic crises. Yeah, something like that. Wonderful. Yeah, I mean, Jamie, Jamie's had like eight. That's oh, not. That's yeah. not. <laughs> Jamie's entire life has just been like from the start of neoliberalism onwards, <laughs> basically. So he's he's just got all the shit. Yeah, I've had I've had the least of it. Um. So yeah, look. Um. Just sat here smoking like a whole fucking pack of tabs. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, oh yeah, seen this happen before. But yeah, so the six arrows are later codified in various forms into the constitution. Um, you know, in 1924, in, con- in the constitution, they have Turkey as a republican nationalist attached to the people, interventionist, secular and revolutionary. Sorry, Turkey is, not is a. That didn't make any sense. That was me reading poorly. Okay, so, you know, you've got a lot of the arrows there already, right? But eventually, you know, it gets refined, it gets changed, and we have the modern constitution. I believe the uh, the current constitution has this clause. Uh, the Republic of Turkey is a democratic, secular, and social state governed by the rule of law, bearing in mind the concepts of public peace, national solidarity, and justice, respecting human rights, loyal to the nationalism of Ataturk, and based on the fundamental tenets set forth in the preamble, and the uh, the fundamental tenets are like you know we're a republic, and also secular and nationalist. Are there any you kind know, of originalists that go around going actually we're a, a Turkish socialist republic? Oh, there are people who are like actually it's not against secularism to have a state religion because we have that in the original constitution. Oh, and boy. if you want my summary of that, you know that Fallout screenshot of everybody hated that. Everyone just like, <laughs> that. Literally, no one fucking likes that shit. Obviously, there were a lot of external interpretations of Kemalism, including people being like, actually, what we should do is uh, we should imitate Kemalism because it's worked so well for Turkey. And uh, apparently, Kemalism's been very influential around the world. Uh, You know, places like Egypt looked at it, you know. Um, Iran looked to it to an extent. Uh, Yugoslavia even before before Tito showed up were like, actually, you know, like secularism might be a good way to get a lid on this whole, you know, everyone is trying to murder each other because some people are Muslim and some people are the wrong type of Christian. Yeah, it might be a nice way to get a lid on that. Of course, that didn't work in Turkey. So why the fuck they thought it would work in Yugoslavia is quite possibly the weirdest part of this. Uh, you know, there's even like influence on you know. Um, on the people who lived in British ruled Palestine, particularly the Jewish community there, were like, actually, you know, secularism might be a neat way to circle certain squares about 
you know, the establishment of the state here could be could be a solution to the problem. Mm, a very uncomplicated uh, endeavor, as we as we have said. A very, yeah, as famously, you know, uh, famously, my position is there should be a single Marxist-Leninist state, but no one, <laughs> no one listens to me. My solutions are apparently far too sensible for people. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but there's but there is this influence of Kemalism, particularly because to a lot of colonized people, it's it represents a, the first failure of an attempt to colonize. And then this ideology consolidated that, right? Mm. D- there's an element of that going on. And obviously we talked about how, like, you know, Egyptian communities, uh, Indian communities, all these other communities gave material support to the Kemalist cause. Uh, you know, the Soviets also had their opinions on it. They were like, these people are, uh, are our allies against imperialism, you see, uh, until, they, until they signed the, you know, uh, treaty of friendship with Germany. Uh, a little bit later from this, um, and obviously the Nazis had their views on Kemalism, uh, which was mostly that Kemalism is great, actually. Kemalist Turkey, and this is a quote, this is a quote from a Nazi, so I'm gonna, gonna be very clear that prepare to hear some really fucked up shit. They viewed Kemalist Turkey as a post-genocidal paradise, worthy of emulation. Oh, no! Yeah, huge L's being taken. Everyone you know, and just like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there are also there are also multiple Hitler quotes about Mustafa Kemal, in particular describing him as a star in the darkness. That's not good, man. That's that's not ideal. Yeah. This is especially this is especially interesting because Mustafa Kemal went around telling Europeans not to trust Hitler constantly, <laughs> and he was doing it like publicly, like, "Hey, this asshole's gonna renege on every treaty you sign with him. Don't do deals with him. He's a cunt." And he's like, "You're the best, you know." <laughs> Uh, you're the greatest. You created a post-genocidal paradise, even though he didn't really manage to do that. I mean, not that, you know... It's like one of those things when you're getting praised and you're just like, shut up. Yeah, he's just like, shut the fuck up, dude. I'm trying to do liberal democracy over here. Speaking of which, I suppose we should talk about the attempt to do liberal democracy. Oh, Fine. Boy. You want to talk about melt shit? Let's talk about melt shit. Right. So, some of us will recall that there was a political party that people attempted to found once upon a time. Um, now, that did not go well. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the name of the party, but it's such like a fucking footnote. Um, I'm like, I don't fucking know at this point. It wasn't the um, independent group, though. It wasn't the independent group. There is a different... There is going to be an independent group <laughs> that does exist. And uh, it's exactly as embarrassing as you think it is. Again, Kemalism, Blairism, they're the same. Yeah. It was the Progressive Republican Party. It had a very cool logo. The, uh, the fr- this party is not that. It's the Progressive... It's Sorry, the Free Republican Party. And it has a, a logo that makes it look like a football club. Oh, that wow. Looks, that, just, that just looks like a Turkish football that, club. That's, that's oh. giving Rangers vibes. I don't like that. Yeah, well, you're going to think so, because their ideology was liberalism, liberal democracy, republicanism, nationalism, and secularism. Uh. I mean, secularism's not a Rangers vibe at all, to be fair. No. <laughs> um, yeah. um, now, some of you will recall the, um, the concept of Kemalism without Kemal. You know, the problem isn't Mustafa Kemal, it's, it's, it's sorry, the problem isn't Kemalism, it's Mustafa Kemal. He's just too good at stuff. <laughs> you know, he's too good at doing the things we don't like, so we want him to not be there so we can do the other things we do like. Um now Okay, now we need to find out who Turkish Owen Smith is. Well, actually, I'm gonna tell you now. His name was <laughs> Ali Feti Okyar, who was the leader of the uh Free Republican Party. And uh, how many how many men did he beat off to get his wife? Well, <laughs> Well, it's not mentioned in his biography, I'll put it like that. So, he was a member of, and this is going to seem like a recurring issue, the Committee of Union and Progress, also oh. known as the Genocide Party. Also, like seemingly every significant Kemalist figure, he fought in Tripoli under Mustafa Kemal. Of course. But, uh, apparently, that's what you had to do in this day to become, you know to become a significant figure. Now, he was already prime minister by this point. He was the second prime minister of Turkey um, after Isma Inonu. Now, he's the one who very famously couldn't command confidence in parliament because, you know, 
everyone, no one respected him, basically. He, he, he also, at, at this point, was definitely going bald, because this is a picture of him when he was quite young, and check out that hairline. Ugh. Huh. Yeah, that is a man whose hair is going. Oh, I hate to see it. Yeah, you do hate to see it. And his politics is very much matched by his hairline. So, he basically was... Um, he was also, like, directly implicated in war crimes, by the way, just in case anyone's wondering. So, he was um, he was basically a member of the Republican People's Party, and Mustafa Kemal was just there, like, the parliament is too difficult to control, because when we have a single party, everyone just keeps doing factionalism, and it keeps slowing down my very important work. So what if we had an enemy to unite against? That's <laughs> what... They just go like, so you're it, by the way. Yes, exactly that. That is exactly what happened. That is exactly the story. The, the common story is, you know, he's having dinner with his mates. And most of the camera's like, you know what we need? An opposition party. And this motherfucker, um, <laughs> he, he sort of drops his fork deliberately, goes under the table to pick it up, hoping he'd pick someone, gets back up and he's like, you, <laughs> you're going to form an opposition party. He's like, oh, for fuck's sake. Man, I already got arrested by the British for war crimes. I oh, come on, man! Like, you know. Oh, amazing! And so he forms the Free Republican Party because there are two causes here. One is like, look, having an opposition is a neat way to shut your fucking factional dickheads up. Now, of course, if you're in, say, the Conservative Party of the UK or the Labour Party of the UK, that doesn't work. No. Um, but that's because uh, years and years of sort of just horrible selection policies have led to the biggest den of vipers possible occupying both parties although one party does that by design and the other party did that by accident i'll leave it up to you to decide which one i mean so you know yeah and the other thing is look we want to do multi-party democracy right we want to do multi-party democracy and this party immediately attracted the group that we regularly call the liberals, and you can tell they're liberals because I'm just going to pick a random member of the party and I'm going to show you a picture of him and you'll be able to see why you know they're liberals. Here is a gentleman for you to look at. Oh my god. <laughs> that is, yeah, it's, it's bad. Uh, that's uh, Hafiz Rakim Ertur. He looks like um, he's about to drop an incredible chap-hop album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, let's not fucking encourage him. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> the problem, the problem is that Feti Okiar, like as much as he believed that you know we need to do private accumulation, we need to get foreign capital into the country <laughs> and keep you know private capital accumulation as the economic basis as opposed to statism. He did actually quite strongly believe in yes, the liberal democracy, which is why he was like as much as he was sort of reluctant to was willing to found this party and. He did believe in republicanism. He didn't want to bring back the caliph or anything like that. But he also very, very strongly believed in secularism. Mm. Like he actually was a true believer in the sort of sort of the modernizing project of Kemalism with regard to secularism. He's like, you can be conservative and exist in a secular society. I mean, look at like half of fucking Europe, right? Half of Europe's functionally secular. Half of that half tends to have fucking Christian Democrats in charge, right? Mm. Whatever. That's not not like it's not a big deal. We can be secular and conservative. That's completely fine. Um, the problem is that when he founds this party, immediately all of the hardcore conservatives latch onto it, and they're like, "Yes, at last, a vehicle to reverse secularism." And his party basically gets entryismed really bad <laughs> by these people. And Mustafa Kemal's like, "Listen, buddy." Um, Here's the deal. You have too many Islamists in your party. You're going to have to shut it down. And uh, Fatiokia, he went, um, okay. <laughs> and then he shut down the party. That's it. That's how the second political party in Turkey dies. But not before it gets humiliated in some local elections. Beautiful. Oh, we love to see, uh, we love to see melts in local elections. Yeah, uh, so here is a map of Turkey showing provinces. The red is the Republican People's Party, and the blue is the Free Republican Party. Um, and this is a provincial, this is the province-wide winners. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
it went about as well as you could tell from the uh, from the reaction of my co-hosts. They won two provinces. Yeah, I think I think actually they were beaten by lakes. Uh, yeah, well, that, <laughs> there is an ongoing joke about that because some um, you'll notice that big lake in the southeast. Yeah, there. Um, some Turkish election maps show lakes in red. And there's a lot. There's a long, ongoing joke that that red is the only red in the in the southeast because the red's the Republican People's Party's color. Because <laughs> the they're like they, they're disgustingly unpopular in Kurdish majority regions for reasons which are explained mm, by yeah. some previous episodes. But they joke that that lake is the one bit of red in the southeast. <laughs> of course, some people will always be like, "Man, I was super confused by this red. I thought the Republican People's Party were winning somewhere Kurdish, but it turns out no." <laughs> but which I mean, I have a sense of humor about it at least. But yeah, they got fucking rinsed in these local elections, like really badly rinsed. Uh, the Isma Enonu, uh, who was the leader of the party, uh, he won. Four, they won four hundred and sixty-two municipalities across the country. Oof. The Free Republic Party won forty. <sighs> not yeah. uh, not great, them. Yeah, not great. Um. For example, in Istanbul, if you would like, if you would like some vote breakdowns, in Istanbul, the Republican People's Party got thirty-five thousand nine hundred and forty-two. The Free Republic Party got twelve thousand eight hundred and sixty-eight. Uh. They got fucking rinsed. And in fact, this this you see this in basically every single one. They even have like, there's one we only see apparently know about one province's like local municipality results specifically, and it's just like the funniest graphic I've ever seen. It's just. It looks like a fake map drawn for a fake country. It does, yeah. It's got very it MX looks... energy. <laughs> yeah, it looks exactly like I've made this map. In fact, maybe I did make this map. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, the Republican, the Free Republic Party cries about the results. They're like, it's not fair. We actually won the election, but you cheated. And then the Republican People's Party is like, well, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> like... Yeah, what are you going to do about it, man? Like, we, we, we say we won 462, you won 40. What now? And I'm like, well, yeah. And so technically these are, um, these are the first ever multi-party elections in Turkey in 1930. There were also the first ever elections in Turkey that allowed women the right to vote and to be elected. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, you know, there's some positives to this. And also, to be fair, it was probably rigged. But still. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, it did. It was rigged against the Melt Party. So, you know. It showed willing, at least, you know. It's like, we are. Yeah. We are a proper democracy. See? See? Yeah, we're trying to do democracy. But also, like, like come on. <laughs> and that brings us on to sort of the big, the big story point. I guess... The next episode will be our 10th episode, so I guess we'll do the life and death of Mustafa Kemal. Oh, we'll yes. go from, like, the very beginning to the very end. Ooh. That'll be our 10th episode. We're going to tell all the stories, all the legends and myths, and what the actual story was for a lot of them. But to sort of clear up some stuff before we start moving on. Uh, so Mustafa Kemal, you know, he was diagnosed with basically cirrhosis in 1935, something like that. And cirrhosis, for those of you who don't know, is uh, scarring of the liver caused by excessive alcohol consumption. So he is essentially drinking himself to death. While also being the hardest working man in the country. In fact, the common stories are that he keeps on trying to... He tried to keep up his pre-diagnosis workload up until his death. Fuck. Now, he does handpick his successor... In case you're wondering how do you pick the leader after the guy, uh, he handpicks him, and he's like, it's going to be Isma Inonu, because let's be real, the base of my par- in my party is now the faction who disagree with my economic policy. <laughs> so, uh, statists, populists, I guess it's your go. And uh, yeah, and, and that's why, and we'll, we'll sort of get to it when we get to the real two-party democracy moments. That's why that particular split happens later. And there's also a very funny conspiracy theory that was published by like a pro Erdogan website that Inonu poisoned Mustafa Kemal when, by all accounts, he was doing it to himself. Yeah. Yeah, a bottle of Rucker every night, you know. It's, it's an intense drink, too. Oof. Like, that's not a soft drink. No. So, I mean, it's literally not a soft drink, but I mean, it's not <laughs> even soft by alcohol standards. <laughs> It's brittle. It's making, it's making beer look casual. And obviously, eventually, Mustafa Kemal succumbs to the cirrhosis, which is obviously why Erdogan 
got to uh, got to do. Oh, so you'll follow the law of drunks, but not the law of God during one of his like insane moments. How did that uh, go which, over? Uh, it did not go over well. Let's put it that way. It it, it was during a set of quite angry protests, oh. and I think that more or less you could describe it as sort of throwing kerosene onto the fire more than anything else. Yeah, for the record, I'd probably go along with the law of drunks rather than God. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, especially if he was the, the guy whose portrait was everywhere. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's about it, really, for, the, uh, for sleeping in beds with six acts for the six arrows. You know, that's it. We have successfully slept in the big bed. We're hey. done. Great. Uh, thank you all for listening. We're going to go record the bonus episode now, which is about the time the Turkish far right attempted to do a coup in Azerbaijan. Oh boy. It is quite literally spin-off content. Because <laughs> uh, what is Azerbaijan if not a spin-off of Turkey? <laughs> anyway, on that controversial note, bye everyone, see ya, please don't kill me in the comments. <laughs> see ya. Bye everyone. <laughs>